slovenly trolls, slovenly trolls, we're big, bad, evil girls. Hello, harlots, and welcome to another episode of the Slovenly Trolls podcast, where it is dark and stormy because it's Halloween. Halloween, spoopy month, aka the best month. I don't know no about that. No arguments to be heard. Uh, well, ex- mm. excuse you, <laughs> what the fuck do you mean it's not the best month? Explain yourself. I kind of like Christmas, and I kind of oh, also fuck like, off. I like Easter. <laughs> Because there's chocolate. Hag girl fall. Hag girl fall. Apple cider. Donuts. Yeah, but you could could drink mulled wine in winter too. It doesn't mean fall. Mulled wine is every year, like every time of year. What are you talking about? There's no bad time for mulled wine. So whenever I can have mulled wine is my favorite time of year, which is all year round. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't. I'm going to have to rethink this friendship if you are not about hag girl fall, honestly. But, no. you know, continue, I guess. Mm-hmm. Introducing the podcast with your inferior opinions. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Wow. Okay. <laughs> there might not be a next episode, peeps. This might be the end of the slovenly trolls as we know it. <laughs> Arguing over the seasons. That's what tears us apart. Yep. Over hag girl fall. Anywhoozles. <laughs> What is this episode about? I hear nobody asking. Well, if you've been following us on social media, you will have known that we are going to do an episode on banshees. (laughs) Spoofy. And the implications and symbolism of female ghosts, as well as the origins in Irish mythology, as we dive into the banshees throughout D&D history. I just want to keep making ghost noises. Honestly, like I'm about this. I'm so I'm so hyped to talk about ghosts because I fucking love ghosts. <laughs> yeah, she's she's she loves them so much that she thinks that her uncle's house is haunted. And when we record, she sends me clips of listen to this. There's a ghost. Can you hear the breath? And I'm like, no, I cannot. I cannot hear. It. Oh, my God. Are we calling me out right now on our podcast? Yes, we are. Fucking excuse me. Listen, slovenly harlots, if you want me to release the proof that of, of like an audio file that I found when we were recording at my uncle's house, which is 100% haunted, uh-huh. you need to let us know on Twitter and Instagram and I will post it to prove Lissa and also Terry from the cave troll slash right in the fields absolutely wrong because I did catch ghosts and ghosts are real, so... Fuck right off with that. (laughs) Nonsense. Yes. On that note, here are the Patreon (laughs) shoutouts. We would like to thank the following people. Kim Winson, Becca Meliva, Matt Dunn, Scott Williams, Tony Lettinen, Ryan Sheldon, Freen, Russ Luzetsky, Antonia Kester, Nathan Wilson, Dread Ninja, Chrissy Bay, a.k.a. Fireboy, Dungeon Daddy Rick of Hammer of the Gods, Jordan McLanson, Nick Andrewson, Casimir Lieber, and Carter Haas. Thank you. And then our very special producer tier super special shout out to <laughs> Chantrell Every and Jeremy Raymond. <laughs> I bet they believe in ghosts. Yeah, there will be no episode after this episode. This is the final episode of the Solver Trolls podcast. Thank you for your understanding. Like and subscribe for ghosts. <laughs>
And we do have a couple content warnings. There will be ghosts. That is a content warning. But we also do have mentions of suicide. We have mentions of death. And we have specific mentions of infanticide. So if those are something that you do not jive with, please do skip this episode and go back in time to see uh, hear other episodes. If there will be any in the future, I don't know, because uh, <laughs> our frenemy ship is really being tested right now with the whole drow thing and now this. So uh, I really need to think about this one. Yeah, sure you do. Mm-hmm. You, you, you'll always come back to me. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you think. <laughs> That's what I know. And you will because our harlots demand it. So without further ado, let's give the people what they want and get into our episode on Banshees, starting with part one. Part one. Female ghosts in the cultural zeitgeist. What a word. I know. It's one of my favorite words to use, actually. <laughs> It makes me sound real smart. Did I did I come across as somebody who's educated and punctual? <laughs> I don't know if that was punctual. No, I, just, I just lost all credibility. You, you just all you just lost all respect Damn. that I had for you. Punctual is also a good word, but it's not the word I meant. Did I sound intellectual? <laughs> I mean, you did before you said punctual. <sighs> Damn it! I will. Okay, that'll be my goal by the end of the section. I will. I will aim to sound intellectual and know what the fuck I'm talking about because, hey, hi, guys. Ghosts are real and I'm going to talk about them for a half hour. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) So this episode is on banshees, D&D banshees, which are a very iconic D&D monster that appear in most of the monster manuals. So in order to talk about D&D banshees, we got to go into the Celtic mythology of banshees, which is our part two. But before we can even talk about that, we kind of have to go back even further because we can't talk about how like banshees and the Celtic version of banshees without first talking about how female ghosts are portrayed as a whole. Because um, strangely, and I know it's so weird to think about, female ghosts have kind of a reputation, which is this, it's that's so weird. Who would have thought, who would have thought that? Who would have thought that anything with women and history and mythology would have baggage? Not me, an intellectual. <laughs> so if you were like me and had... No idea of the the baggage and the patterns that came with female ghosts and female depictions of ghosts. This is the section for you. We are going to learn together, or I educated myself, and I'm going to educate you all on it. So in this section, I'm going to talk about them. And I'm specifically going to talk about this archetype called the Wailing Woman, and specifically... I'm going to discuss why ghosts and why wailing women ghosts are just a product of the patriarchy. What? (laughs) I know. I'm shocked. I'm shocked that I brought up such a term. I don't think we've ever talked about the patriarchy on this podcast. Do you think so, Lissa? What does it even mean? I, not the intellectual. (laughs) Lissa... The one who doesn't believe in ghosts does not know what the patriarchy is. 
So don't you worry. I will explain it to you. I will female explain it to you. And this this section will get a bit heavy. It will get a bit anger-inducing or maybe even a little bit sad. So I will end this section on a positive note because there has been discussions in the new wave of feminism of rereading these female ghost stories and empowering them and looking at them as empowering stories. So it's not all doom and gloom. See what I did there? Doom and gloom. Halloween. Anyway. (laughs) Add cricket noises. Exactly. (laughs) Um, I got all the information I'm about to present to you primarily from two articles. So the first one is called Something Wraith-Like This Way Comes by Ruby Brunton from Topic.com. And the second one is The Feminist Power of Female Ghosts by Andy Zeisler from Bitch Media. I will be linking both of those in the sources. I highly recommend reading them. They were a delight and very enlightening. So let's start out with some math, but not any type of math. This is just my version of math in which I wrote down women plus history equals baggage. (laughs) (laughs) So why is this? Why do women ghosts, female ghosts, why do they have all of this baggage? According to the topic article, ghost stories reflect and inform a society of its values and bring gender politics into stark relief. So like any storytelling mechanic, so fiction, poetry, art, any other storytelling, ghost stories are exactly like that. They reflect the society and the norms and the expectations of that time period. And we recently did an episode kind of covering this topic, um, our Woman and Magic episode, where we talked about a Dragon Magazine article that was so sexist that we had literally nothing good to say about it. <laughs> And we hypothesized during that episode that the article was a reaction to the women's liberation movement of the 1970s. And that article maybe would not have been as awful as it was if it was written during any other time period. Like it was an article of its time that was specifically going against the history of what was happening. It was in reaction to it. And a lot of things, if you just look at the historical context, especially with stories or anything in written or visual media, it is a product of its time. Ghost stories are exactly the same way. So if a society is patriarchal, aka ruled by men, for Lissa, who does not know what a patriarchy is and doesn't believe in ghosts, ghost stories will reflect that patriarchy. Make sense? Yes? No? Yes. So, even as ghosts, women will oh, will abide by gender roles in these ghost stories. I found a couple of themes by culture outlined by the articles that I mentioned before to kind of emphasize this point. So, in traditional Korean folklore, they, it features stories of women who die before being married and having children and thus... They cannot pass peacefully unto death, but will linger around to haunt their family. And it's only resolved in these stories by the phenomenon of posthumous marriage. Do you know what posthumous marriage is? Because I don't. (laughs) Getting married posthumously, so after death? 
Yeah. Like, I'd never heard of that before. Is that an actual thing? <laughs> like, I don't think it is. I mean, I, I know that you can get married to a cartoon character, supposedly. So, like, that's not the weirdest thing I've ever heard. Wasn't there that woman as well that got married to a building? Was it the Eiffel Tower or the Empire State Building or something? Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Rings a bell. So what we're saying is marriage is a sham and you should stay single (laughs) forever. (laughs) Just kidding. Do what you want. It's fine. There is... Um, Another tradition in Chinese culture of stories involving female ghosts who can be resurrected by having sex with a living man. So, um, necrophilia specifically (laughs) in Chinese culture. And then lastly, American ghost stories and folktales have a theme of greedy, vain female spirits who feed on the youth and beauty that is no longer theirs. Which I there's actually an example of that in Banshee lore, D and D Banshee lore. There are all these very negative, very countercultural ideas in these stories, and those are just overarching themes because there are a lot of examples of this. But I want mm. to just specifically talk about one. But before I get into that, Lissa, could you think of any like? ghost stories or stories of your youth where you remember hearing themes like this or no of women ghosts Mm -hmm. or i mean i can't remember what the story about bloody mary was but that's a feminine ghost yeah a hundred percent there i looked into bloody mary very briefly and i debated putting her into this episode because the the legend of bloody mary is different throughout like different retellings of it and i found an article specifically on bloody mary talking about it and how bloody mary is always just as well a system of or a um a symbol of the culture and how different stories of bloody mary talk about why she became bloody mary and it's always usually about Unfortunately, violence against women. Shocking. It's not fun. Yeah. And then Bloody Mary taking it out on the rest of society because she was so violently taking away from the world, stuff like that. But I was the same way. Like, I only really knew about Bloody Mary and I knew that female ghosts always, at least in my mind, dressed in like a white gown usually like long hair and for some reason like I always picture them like in Victorian dress but maybe that's just who I am as a person fair yeah so always presenting traditionally feminine not necessarily knowing specific ghost stories but always picturing female ghosts as very traditionally feminine usually crying or really angry like very emotional beings which I found is also a trend so Specifically, it's a trend with the wailing woman archetype. So for those who don't know, a brief description of the wailing woman. She's described as a young, beautiful woman who catches the eye of a man, or she finds herself wanting to enjoy sexual intimacy, and she strays from her womanly, motherly, or daughterly duties because of it. Thanks to her vanity or indiscretion, The young woman is castigated or cursed, made to face death or eternal life as an undead being. Her punishment 
is often disproportionate to the fates of the man, of the men, who aided, abetted, or induced her forbidden actions. The same men generally disappear from the story completely. The author hypothesizes that the Wailing Woman archetype is centered on male fears about women with ambition who crave power and independence, display anger, or seek ownership over their own sexuality. And they become devices for instilling fear and disdain in children and adults alike. So the stories of these women, they become cautionary tales. So you hear all of these horror stories about women who are killed and then haunt the earth because they did something terrible. But that something terrible is usually seeking independence, displaying anger, or owning their sexuality. And because of that association, each of these ghost stories of a wailing woman usually have a moral attached to them that are portrayed in a very extreme way. Because, you know, when you use something extreme, it's a lot more memorable. Some examples of this. There are a lot of them, but I narrowed it down to two different ones that I thought illustrated it pretty well. So the first one is La Llorona. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. La Llorona of Latin America. And La Llorona, her husband cheated on her. She was in a perfectly happy relationship until her husband cheated on her. And in response, she drowned her children and herself in a river. And because of, because of that action, she was not allowed into heaven. And so she wandered the night and she was cursed to wander the night and snatch children usually wailing something like, my children, my children, before she snatched other people's children. So it's a cautionary tale about being a bad mother and how that will bar you from heaven. Obviously, very extreme example of being a bad mother, drowning their children. But it's it's told in these circles as a cautionary tale of a woman not being able to handle her emotions, flying off the handle, and then doing something very extreme, and then not being able to move on to the afterlife. And then the second one is, okay, I wrote down the pronunciation of this, so I hope I get this right. The second one is Kuchisakiona, Kuchisakiona, who's from Japan, probably still butchered that and that's a tale that's completely opposite of well not completely opposite but it has again traditional feminine or female roles but it's a different take on it so instead of motherly this one is more of a tale of vanity Kuchisaki Ona was the most beautiful woman in her village and she married a samurai who went to war she had an affair And when her husband discovered her infidelity, he slit her face from ear to ear. In response to this, she committed suicide over her mutilated appearance. And her ghost form was cursed to earth 
and asks passerby if she is pretty and continues to ask people if she's pretty, even in the afterlife. And depending on their response, she will either kill them or maim them. So I believe it's if they answer, yes, you are pretty, she will cut them across the mouth so that their appearance matches hers. And if they say, no, she, they're not pretty or she's not pretty, she will just kill them. <laughs> and the moral of this story is that it is supposed to warn women who are a little too aware of their beauty and have the audacity to act on it they will likely suffer horrible fates. So how do we feel about these stories? Lissa, any thoughts? Pretty standard women ghost stories, I would say. Mm -hmm. Don't be vain and don't take out your sorrows on your children. Don't be a bad mother. Which I hate that these are like, folklore tales that people keep saying out loud because they enforce well I mean the being the bad mother it enforces gender stereotypes upon women I wouldn't say that there there there's no equivalent for men ghosts or masculine ghosts that I know of that would do the same because being vain as a man that's just a whole different ballpark and that's not as problematic so there's not going to be like a myth about it or if it, it if it is it's like a general myth for both men and women but it's never singly targeting a man i would claim i 100 percent agree when i was reading these stories i and when i read any story i always kind of have the thought of how would this story be different if this story was about a man and I kind of had a very disturbing thought and I guess we're already in a dark place so should I say what that disturbing thought was <laughs> I mean it's spooky season so it's spooky season y'all so I thought that these ghost stories if they were about men they wouldn't be ghost stories they would be on the news is that a bit fucked up that is very spooky you hear all the time, unfortunately, and I believe we talked about this in our episode with Megan when we went into Lord Soft and his backstory about how he had a hand in killing his family. Mm -hmm. Spo spoilers. Um, <laughs> and how it mimics serial killer-like behavior that we hear a lot on true crime podcasts and stuff. And it reminded me more of that than it reminded me of like a ghost story or a narrative. It's like, oh no, this sounds like a statistic in a in a true crime podcast. Mm. And I'm glad that you brought it up too, because I do also have a point about male ghost stories. So let me just get into that real quick and then we'll we'll discuss that because I think that's I think that's one of the most important points to make about female ghosts is whenever you hear a story about a female ghost, just think about how this story's morality would change or how the context would change if this was about a man. You know, and would it have the same oomph 
Would it have the same emotional turmoil? Would it have the same morality? Depending on culture's view of women, that's how the stories are written. So that first story, La Llorona, that's a story about a mother gone to the extreme, doing something absolutely horrible, and um, rebelling, quote-unquote, against her role in society as a mother. And then the second one, Kujasakiona, she rebels against the, quote-unquote, place that women have in society and how women are not supposed to be vain. They're not supposed to own their sexuality. They're not supposed to have any sort of confidence in themselves. If there is a heteronormative, patriarchal society, that is going to be reflected in the story, and those are reflected in these stories. To the very, very extreme... So people remember them and people remember the morals of them, but it is reflected. And to the point that Lissa made, there is a quote I found in the Bitch Media article that says, female ghosts are particularly scary because the source of the pain that keeps them haunting the living isn't supernatural at all, but the result of being all too human. Women who were scorned, abused, wronged or otherwise have serious beef with the people part of their death so their deaths female deaths in these stories were usually caused in some part by society or gender norms being the role of the mother being expected not to be vain as a woman because that is seen as very sinful and i also wrote down like there's also just this huge like emotional turmoil in these stories and women as emotional beings I think is also a theme that you can't really overlook right because that's also kind of a stereotype I mean yeah we talked about that in our previous episode which one I think we talked about it in a lot actually (laughs) well yeah probably uh we're emotional beings yeah uh just so you know I don't know if you guys are aware of that We're very emotional. We can't control our emotions. You can't have a woman president. She would push the nuke button if she was on her period. That's something I heard a lot in high school. (laughs) So going along with all of that, I did try to rack my brain for male examples of ghosts. And I honestly couldn't think of any. All of the ghost stories of women specifically are the ones that stuck with me, like Bloody Mary or all of the ghost stories and horror films that my friend wa- my friends watch because I'm not a big horror movie person. Like all of the the villains in those ghost stories, those are female ghosts usually. I didn't have any examples. The only example I can think of, and it was is from Harry Potter. And I know Harry Potter is very contentious right now. I understand this, but it's the only one that I could think of. And if you guys, if anybody, if any of our listeners can think of other examples, let us know. But in in Harry Potter, Hogwarts, the magic school, is full of ghosts. And two of the most well-known are Nearly Headless Nick and another one called the Grey Lady. And I thought the differences between those two ghosts illustrated this point that Lissa brought up of how male ghosts, we, we can't, we don't really have ghost stories for them because their deaths aren't nearly as... um 
emotionally charged, I want to say. They don't stick with us. So in Harry Potter, Nearly Headless Nick is a ghost whose death is tied to a botched beheading. So his whole shtick is he's not headless Nick. He's nearly headless. And if he does a little trick, you can see his head like almost go all the way off his body and then go right back on. (laughs) Very kind of disturbing for a kid's book now I think about it. (laughs) Um, But that's his whole shtick is he died because of a failed decapitation. But the gray lady, who I think is probably the most well-known female ghost in Harry Potter lore, I guess, in the original books, is she died because of a broken heart. She was betrayed, and she died of a broken heart. And that emotional, womanly death is tied to her gender. It's tied to her identity as an emotional person. Whereas Nearly Headless Nick, a male ghost, his is just like this funny, ha-ha, botched, very surface-level death that's not really tied to anything. Why do we, why do you think, why do we think that is? Like, why are female ghost stories more prominent and male ghost stories aren't? I know it's kind of a big question to dump on you, Lissa, but I want to hear your thoughts on it because I've been thinking about this for weeks. <laughs> well, okay, I can think of one male ghost story, but you're going to hate me for this because Casper the Friendly Ghost. <laughs> sure, 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 go on. I mean that that that's it that oh that's all I got. <laughs> that's the only like because yeah, I I don't really watch horror movies but same like there are masculine slash man ghosts mm-hmm. but are they the antagonist of any big movie? I don't know because I don't watch or horror book. Movies. I don't I don't read horror either. So I am not <laughs> no, the we're, person. We're not the. <laughs> we're not the experts on this. Yeah, why <laughs> is it that Bloody Mary is iconic, mm-hmm. but there's no Bloody Mary equivalent that is a. Where's Bloody Mark? You know. Yeah. <laughs> is it okay? Hear me out. Hear me out. Is it because men, and we're we're doing the whole gender binary. Is it because men are more violent to begin with, so then it's more memorable when you make content where a woman is violent because she's going against mm. her true nature of being motherly? This is the whole Lolf discussion all over again. Of 100%. Why, how women are supposed to be in the patriarchy, which is you're supposed to be motherly, you're supposed to be caring, you're supposed to have the household, take care of the children, do dishes, the chores. When you have a male serial killer, it's like a typical Friday. But when you have a woman serial killer, that's when people get concerned. That's when that be- that it becomes a ghost story. It becomes mythology. It, it becomes, becomes newsworthy and people notice it and people remember mm-hmm. it. Because when a woman acts out and quote unquote doesn't know her place in society... And acts against what people expect of a woman, a.k.a. not violent, like you said. Yeah. It's shocking. It shocks people. It gets that emotional response out of people. Mm -hmm. When a man murders his 
wife and children. It's of course it's tragic. A hundred, it, of course it's tragic. But when a woman does it, there is, I feel, way more visceral reaction because women are not supposed to act that way. Women aren't supposed to kill their children. Men are. <laughs> like, men, men aren't either. But the fact that it's, the, it's a woman, it's her children, she birthed them out of her vagina. Like, why would she go and then kill them? Because what? where's the motherly instinct? Yeah. Because we live in a patriarchy and <laughs> but it's it's exactly that. It's just shocking. And it's why these stories and I'm shocked that I never made the connection before. And I've I've always been a lover of ghost stories and of creepy things, of Halloween, of witches and hags and all of that stuff. But I don't watch a lot of horror movies and I only watch ghost shows on occasion and documentaries and stuff. So I didn't really put together the pieces of what female ghosts meant and why they 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 hold all of this baggage. And I didn't understand and I, I didn't connect the dots until doing this episode. And I thought it was really important to point out because like you said, there is like when you when you flip the gender, it's it's not shocking. If these stories were about a man, I don't think they would be mythological. I just think they'd be in the news. Yeah. The patterns in these ghost stories, they are they basically just always liken like feminist ideals and women's autonomy ideals and anything that breaks with a motherly or a sisterly or a wifely like any traditional duties of a woman if a woman breaks out of that if she does something so shocking or she does something against the culture the the ghost story punishes her and curses her so they that she brings agony to others and lives in agony herself because she's not supposed to do that and no person should be able to do that but specifically women should not be able to do any of these things yeah because women can't lash out because women are supposed to be what's the word i'm looking for calm domesticated subservient subservient domesticated subservient in a patriarchy specifically yeah specifically in a patriarchy we are second class citizens (laughs) and if you live in the states you are a second class citizen hey (laughs) cries um (laughs) so i don't want to end this section on doom and gloom and i don't want people to just yeah just take away all this well now i can't enjoy all of these ghost stories and it has all of these um really bad implications on it i don't want to walk away from that section like this we, we learned a lot about female ghost stories and they do have all of this baggage and that baggage does carry on into Banshees and then further on into D&D Banshees because this is a D&D podcast. I don't know if you guys know that. Um, this is D&D related. I wanted to end more of a positive note because recently there have been a lot of discussions around female ghosts that are showing them not as victims but kind of like feminist icons in a way who rebelled against the patriarchy 
And now they're fighting back against it from the afterlife. And there's this great quote from the Bitch Media article that says, Ghost stories are often proto-feminist tales of women who, if only in death, subvert the assumptions and traditions of women as dutiful wives and mothers, worshipful girlfriends, or obedient children by unleashing a lifetime's worth of rage and retribution. And then it goes on to say, it quotes a woman named Colleen Wanglard, who is a feminist horror zine editor. And she says, the vengeance of female ghosts isn't necessarily aimed at the person who wronged them. It is as unthinking and randomly destructive as systems of the patriarchy. So what I interpreted that is, the patriarchy as a system, it doesn't think about who it's hurting as long as straight white men are okay. Like as long as they're at the top of the food chain. Mm-hmm. So in this vein, the women who were killed for the betterment of patriarchal values, they take that same energy, that same cruelness and destructiveness, and they lash it back out at them. And I wrote, good for her, (laughs) using the patriarchy against itself, basically. And that's how a lot of, not a lot of people, but that's how some people are choosing to read these stories now. So instead of reading them as these tragic stories of the patriarchy that beat women down, they instead find, these women find power in the afterlife and give it back to the patriarchy as bad as it gave it to them. So I wanted to end on that note, I think, more so Mm. than the other tragic note (laughs) of female ghosts. I like that reading and interpretation of ghost stories. I'm going to choose to think of that whenever I happen upon any female ghost stories now. And that, yeah, the patriarchy super fucking sucks. And no matter if these ghost stories are real or not, like if they're based in legend, if they're based on real events... No matter if they're real or not, it's it's a it's a nice empowering thought to think that narratively these these badass ghosts are be like, okay, you want to fuck with me? I fuck with you. <laughs> I like that a lot better. And I wonder if maybe we can think of banshees in that way. But um, are we about ready to actually talk about banshees? Is there anything else you would like to say about ghosts that are very much real, Lisa? No, I think. I think we're ready to transition into (laughs) part two. Part two, Banshees. Part two, the history of Banshees. So the real world context, part two, because we just had the real world context, part one. But now we're talking about the real lore of Banshees, not D&D lore, but real lore that doesn't make any sense history of banshees (laughs) isn't so history is just real lore i think we can i think yeah that's what i thought that's what i thought and then i thought maybe that's confusing but no i don't think so so we have real lore and then we have D &D, which is fake lore (laughs) that's what i'm saying you heard it here first D &D is fake lore So in order to look at banshees, we have to picture the globe as it is and then zoom in 
where you think Ireland is. Now that may be difficult for some people. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. Um, yeah, zoom in where Ireland is. Picture Ireland, the Gaelic, the Celtic. Picture Scotland and Wales. Northern Ireland, because they never get mentioned in anything, so shout out to Northern Ireland. You exist. <laughs> the lochs, the far-off mountains, the rolling hills, the glens, the sheep, the rivers, the big cliffs, old castles and ruins. <laughs> exactly. We're in Ireland. Sure, is the sheep. And here we have the beliefs of the Celtics in the spirit world and their supernatural beliefs. So they believed in lots of different kinds of spirits and as many kinds of spirits as there were, there were a thousand more because they were all based in different locations. Some were friendly, some were malicious, some had, you know, different colored teeth and different functions. So a whole just area of supernatural beliefs and superstition, which were written about, which I happened to study for the section. So I consulted writings of mythology, which were written starting from the early 1800s to, what was the last one? Like the 1900s, somewhere in the late 1900s. We're specifically looking at banshees. Sade, I have a question for you. Yes. Would you please describe what you think a banshee is and what one looks like? So I did the research for the D&D banshees in part three. <laughs> so I... Yeah, I'm, but I'm talking about real world banshees. Okay. When I think of real world banshees, I think... I also kind of think of fake lore in that I think of like media interpretations of banshees, like a banshee you would see on the show Supernatural or mm -hmm. another sci-fi show. So I think of female ghost with kind of a disfigured face mm -hmm. with a bunch of either scarring or some sort of abject like horror face and tattered clothes, long hair that blows in the wind for no reason. And specifically, I think of a banshee's like scream because whenever I think of banshee or even before we did this episode, whenever I thought of banshee, banshees are always equated to their screams. Mm -hmm. That's what I think of. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Did I pass? Did I get an A? Is I mean, right? that is that is the media depiction of a banshee <laughs> yeah pretty much okay cool 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 so now we're gonna go through what mythology considers a banshee to be because i have multiple different depictions sort of that we can compare mm. to your image of banshees okay but so miriam webster defines a banshee as a female spirit in the gaelic meaning irish or Celtic folklore, whose appearance or wailing foretells a specific family that one of them will soon die. So compared to your description, that is sort of, you know, the wailing and the appearance, I guess, could go through. It doesn't speak that much about mm -hmm. um, appearance, but 
what a banshee functions as is it foretells a specific family of that one of them will soon die, which is the origin of the banshee and its purpose. So she is a mostly female spirit in Irish and Celtic mythology with a very specific purpose. And some say that she is a fairy and because fairies are seen as elves in mythology, those are like the same thing. But some also see her as a goblin. I found one source that specifically was about goblins, which was very interesting. So... Fairies, when they say fairies, they don't mean like a fairy in D&D. They mean like a fairy as a an elemental spirit or a natural spirit, which is part of the physical landscape. Mm-hmm. And there are different kinds, and this is sort of the similar to our episode where we looked at Scandinavian culture and the Edda, where different translations, different languages have different meanings, and when you put them together... The classifications get wrong and mixed up and, you know, so it, but it's, it, it is a natural spirit that has a function, which is that it is an omen of death or a warning of death to, to happen soon. And she is a messenger from the other world because of this. And it's usually tied to a specific family or bloodline, which for some reason, the Old texts specifically say race, so it's usually tied to a specific race, but they, from what I could understand, they mean bloodline because it's following the family tree. And banshees can be either malicious or they can be friendly. They can be friendly? They can be friendly. Oh, I'm not expecting that. I like that. (laughs) So I have a quote from Catherine Briggs, who wrote an encyclopedia of fairies from 1976, which kind of sums up the different kinds of banshees that you could have. So she says, Sometimes the banshee assumes the form of some sweet singing virgin of the family who died young and has been given the mission by the invisible powers to become the harbinger of coming doom to her mortal kindred. Or she may be seen at night as a shrouded woman, crouched beneath the trees, lamenting with veiled face, or flying past in the moonlight, crying bitterly. And the cry of the spirit is mournful beyond all other sounds on earth, and betokens certain death to some member of the family whenever it is heard in the silence of the night. So TLDR... She is a feminine spirit, a messenger of death, mostly heard, not always seen, by family members who are going to witness or have a death in the family, or by somebody themselves who is about to die. And she specifically heard wailing, moaning, and sometimes even screaming. But she can be either friendly or hateful. She sounds more hateful and ominous than friendly, though. So does that mean that, like, a a harbinger of death, like, some people just interpret that as, like, a good friendly omen and other people interpret it as a a bad dark omen kind of thing? I mean, it depends on 
I'm going to go through a couple different ones. So because she is a okay. woman with many names, she is a woman with many different, essentially there's different descriptions and different witnesses. There are witnesses who have quote unquote seen her or experienced her. And depending on where they are located, they have different explanations and different descriptions of her. And she does different things. So it really depends on the location. But what she is, is she is a messenger warning you that somebody is going to die very soon. And it could be within the next hour. It could be within the next minute. It could be in three months. It could be in five months. I'm going to go through a couple different species or types of banshee, I guess, because there are some specific types in the Irish, Scottish, and Welsh regions that I'm going to go through, if you would like me to. <laughs> no. I'm going to go through them anyway, because I did all this <laughs> research, so you're going to hear about it whether you like it or not. It's your problem, so now it's our problem. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like That's the spirit. <laughs> so in Ireland... She goes by the name Bean She, written Bean like the coffee bean, and Sid He, S-I-D-H-E. It literally means women of fairyland and or she fairies. But in this sort of Bean She type, it also has, it, this, co this type covers other versions which have different names because... Like I said, they all have different names and they have a million different umbrellas and types and styles. And so this one covers a couple different ones. The other versions translated are Woman of the Fairy Mounds or Woman of the Side. I myself have named this type the beautiful and poetic one because it's beautiful and poetic. I don't know what to tell you. Because Irish is because beautiful Irish and is poetic. beautiful and poetic. Exactly. Yeah. So Sir Walter Scott, who is an author who wrote Letters of Demonology and Witchcraft in 1884, named the Bean She, or Ben She, the one of the most beautiful. So she is described as having a gray cloak, a green dress, and her eyes are red from weeping. She is called a household fairy, and she appears to people mourning the death of somebody who is going to die in the family. And this person may or may not be sick, but she comes to you mourning that this and warning you that this person is going to die in the family. And if you are the person who hears her mourning cry, legend goes, if you are able to find her and catch her, you can force her to tell you who is going to die, which is kind of weird. But so you only get the information if you're able to, like, what, like, chase her down and force it out of her? Yeah, essentially. Yeah, I don't, I don't really, yeah, by <laughs> force. I don't really like that. I don't like that connotation, especially after we just got done with, like, my 30-minute diatribe uh -huh. on, like, how female ghosts, yeah, that doesn't, uh, that doesn't sit right with me, fam. Sorry. <laughs> uh, so... She con only concentrates on a few families, and those families are those who are true, descendant true descendants of the Gaelic race, 
So those who have last names of containing the word Mac or O, including big names like O'Neills, O'Briens, O'Connors, O'Grady's, and Kavanaugh's. So if you have one of those names, you're basically fucked because she's, you know, well, I mean, I don't know. If, if she's coming after you and she's going to warn you that somebody's going to die, so that might be a blessing and not a curse. Do you, could, could, a, could a banshee go to Brett Kavanaugh's house, a.k.a. one of the Supreme Court justices that took away um, people's rights to have bodily autonomy? Could she go to, could she go to his house and yeah. scream at him? Cool, because I would love that to happen. I'm gonna, I'm willing that into the universe. I mean, she's a more of a friendlyish ghost, I would say, than a malicious ghost because she warns you of a death. But I guess that could sort of be ominous if she comes and screams at you, and then you might end up dying later the same day. I mean, you were warned, but you don't know who's gonna die, so it might be you, it might be somebody else. I would like to formally request any banshees listening to this podcast to go to Brett Kavanaugh's house. <laughs> And put on the visage of a very scary version of yourself, <laughs> scream at him, and um, bring all this foreboding onto him. And for legal reasons, this is a joke. <laughs> <laughs> we are not political on this podcast. Please note, not we are not political. Mm-mm. Not on Twitter either. Mm-mm. Nope. Never once in my life have I ever done that. Nope. The explanation for why this may be happening is was suggested that because she may have been a house spirit, she may have been a deceased ancestor who was also a protector of the family. So Mm. Sidhi means woman of the hills, but it's also the term for the burial mounds, which are found throughout the British Isles. So it could be, Mm. you know, a burial ancestor who's coming back to make sure that her kin are warned of danger when they die so that they prosper and live long. This became a very motivational <laughs> <laughs> motivational speech. I right mean, after. you just brought Star you just brought Star Trek into this. I mean, live long and prosper. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. She giving the live long and prosper sign. It's great because I've never seen Star Trek, so <laughs> Well, we gotta remedy that. Add that to the list of stuff Lissa needs to see. <laughs> so that's the Irish version of the Banshee. We now go to Scotland. We have the Binia and the smaller version of Bansith, which is, I've shoved those two into one big, one big group, which I've called the Laundry Lady. (laughs) (laughs) So her name literally means Little Washer by the Ford, and she haunts the Highlands and the Islands of Scotland. And according to Scottish legend, or the Scottish pictures of fairies, they have some physical defects, which is a very weird word, but I continue. Uh, So she is a small, quote-unquote, child-sized person, fairy, or and is pictured or said to look almost like a small, pitiful child. She's dressed in green. She only has one nostril. She has large protruding front teeth and unnaturally long hanging breasts. <laughs> what? <laughs> One source also says she has red webbed feet. But yes, she has unnaturally long hanging 
breasts. What a strange detail to add in there. Like the other stuff I kind of get. Like, okay, yeah, sure. One tooth, one nostril. Gotcha. You got her uh, the boobs. (laughs) Oh, it gets weirder. And I'll tell you in a little bit. It gets weirder. Fantastic. Fantastic. So she is seen usually washing linens or clothes by a pool or a stream in quote unquote lonely places. Uh, Or she's folding them or beating the clothes in the middle of the water. You know, doing regular woman chore stuff, as as we know. She is said to be, her origin is said to be the ghost of a woman who died in childbirth. Because according to Scottish belief, a woman who died during childbirth was considered to have a premature death. So she needed to stay in that life and wash her clothes until the natural period of her death because she died prematurely and she had these clothes to wash, which she left unwashed, so she must stay in this realm to wash the rest of her clothes. What? What? (laughs) (laughs) Um, excuse me, that seems like, excuse me, ma'am, excuse me, ma'am, that seems like a system of the patriarchy. Um, excuse me. I don't like that. <laughs> Woman stay behind in the afterlife. You need to wash my clothes kind of vibes. Mm-hmm. Or she's washing Oof. clothes. Yeah. Washing blood off clothes, usually. Um, she may also be washing other people's clothes. And this could be a sign that they are going to die violently. If you see, like, I don't know, your brother's favorite red shirt being, like, washed in the river. You could be like, oh, my God. I need to go save him because his red shirt's in the river and she's washing it and looking at you. Real spooky. Mm. Real spook. So now we come to the breasts. Oh my god. (laughs) And there's this weird thing with wish fulfillment, according to this legend. So her unnaturally long breasts, so when she is washing, you know, bending over in this stream, she what she does is she throws them over her shoulders and they hang down her back, which is an image that I'm I'm sure that you love. Ow. It hurts, actually. (laughs) Like, I'm trying to actually... I don't know why I'm doing this. I'm trying to picture the physics of it and, like, the weight of a breast thrown over the shoulder, and it just hurts. Like, I'm getting physical pain thinking about that. You can't see me, but I every time when I said she throws her breasts, I made the motion of throwing breasts over oh, my I shoulders. Did too. <laughs> oh my god, no way. I just did too, yeah. <laughs> just whoop, whoosh, whoop, whoop. Oh god, oof. How does this person think boobs work? Did a man write this? I don't, I don't know. I don't know I'm that guessing. there's, this is, this is oral history, so who knows so where it came from. So a man said this. A man. Maybe. So what, what, according to legend, what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to sneak up to her and put her breasts in your mouth. Because when you do that, you call her your foster mother and this will grant you a wish from her. Oh my, shut the fuck up. This is some person's like mom, mommy kink. (laughs) Like, come on. Like, you can't, no. You can also... Uh, if you can get between her and the stream, you can also sort of, like, catch her, and then essentially that forces, or she she is forced to then sort of deal with you, 
and she can tell you your future. So she will tell you all the answers to your questions, but in return, you also have to truthfully answer all of hers. So again, weird wish fulfillment things happening there and also weird boob things. Just saying, you know. I don't know what it is about Scottish men and weird boobs, but or suck it on <laughs> long boobs. But if you're Scottish, I would like to know if you have a boob fetish like this. Please let me know. Is this just a Scottish thing? It's probably not. It's 100% probably is not. If you are no, anyone that's... who has a thing like this, I would like <laughs> to know. know. <laughs> I, will give, I will give you a anonymous uh, form that you can fill out, and I need you to go into specifics. <laughs> For research purposes. For research obviously. purposes, obviously. Christ. <laughs> so the other Scottish version is called the, and I, I don't know how to pronounce this, so please go with me here, Cowinig and the Cowin Teach, which are called the Weeper and the Wailer, but I have just called them the Cheater. They do not have a description. They cannot be seen, only heard. They are heard wailing in the darkness, usually by some sort of a water body, before any sort of catastrophe overtakes a clan. According to mythology, they belong to a class of what are called Fuaths, F-U-A-T-H-S, which the Fuaths are sort of monster or demonly and are very closely connected to hags and bear. Boar? Bear? Bear? Bear. Yeah. So hags and bear. So a bear is a hag. We've been, yeah. We've been, been over this in the hag episode. We did an episode on hags. Check it out. Yeah. <laughs> so they usually haunt streams, waterfalls, and glens. And their function is to ward off dangers of battle, to guard and protect infants in their childhood, and specifically like heirs of their family, to interfere in sports of the chieftain, and to point out the fittest moves in chess or the best cards to play in a game of cards. So I've called it the cheater. Yeah. Because you're cheating at sports and games, but also battle. <laughs> Seems like almost a, a quote-unquote like good luck charm. Yeah. But it's really like, a, yeah, just like a cheating mechanism. But it's weird because they're also considered to be like monsterly or demonic, but you use them to... Win? Win? Well, I guess you could kind of equate it to cheating is bad. So cheating equals bad, monsters equal bad. And mm. so you can kind of connect the two in that way. So you're you're pledging yourself to a monster in order to win. And that maybe brings some negative consequences on you at some point. I don't know. Mm -hmm. You can kind of see a vague connection there. Not as strong, but vague. The Cowing Teach, which is a localized form of the previous one, the Cowing I'm butchering that, so I'm sorry, actually has a description. So she is a child or a very little woman wearing a short green gown and a petticoat and a high-crowned white cap, which I think is very cute. And this is like a very, I think, you typical would. sort of fairy imagery that you would picture. Yeah. Like a cute little sprightly thing. Yeah. Or a she has a loud and lamentable cry, 
which rises sometimes to a scream, and she sometimes also beats clothes on a stone like the bee nigh. Now in Wales, we have the... I don't know how to say this. Oh, the Sihirath, which is I have called the groaning, moaning spirit, which cannot be seen but only heard before death and particularly before like a big event like an epidemic or a disaster, which has multiple deaths linked to it. And it has or she has a very, very specific sound, like a, a doleful disagreeable sound which can be heard during foul weather which sounds sort of like a groaning of a sick person but then it comes nearer and then it becomes threefold and then it gets louder but it's it's more loud than a sick man would be able to make a groaning sound and then it gets softer and then sort of fades away which was very interesting it's very it's a very poetic description yeah the sihirath is also used as a coastal warning so especially before like a shipwreck or on the seashore you can hear groans and moans coming from the sea which is not the sea just having sex it's actually there's going to be a shipwreck you know happening so get ready for bodies you know to wash up on the shore let the bodies wash the shore let the bodies (laughs) wash the shore (laughs) petition to do an entire rewrite of let the bodies hit the floor with the bodies hit the shore (laughs) it's also accompanied accompanied by sort of what they call corpse candles but will of the wisps so little paths that show where the corpse is to take the way that will lead to the churchyard which i think is very poetic and beautiful very fairy tale yeah so the final one which is the welsh grac e ribbon welsh and gaelic are beautiful languages <laughs> that you are just butchering and i will i also butcher them so i am also at fault here <laughs> and the literal translation of the G-Y-R, the abbreviation I'm going to use for this word, is sure. she is the witch of ribbon. I have called her just the hag because, I mean, grah, grah already means like witch, so hag, and is, I mean, it just makes sense. She's the hag. Mm-hmm. So her description goes along with this imagery of the hag as well. She's very hideous. She has messy, tangled hair, long black teeth, lank, long, withered arms, which are proportionately too long for her body, leather wings, and she's thin and bony. And now that's only one description because I also read another book from another, a different time, which gave an alternate description, which is even more ghostly, I would say. So this one has jet black skin, high cheeks, and a lengthened face that points downward with a short nose and distended nostrils. One eye that's piercing gray, the other jet black and deep sunk in her head, her teeth long and yellow, and her stomach rises from her breastbone and goes higher than her chin. 
Her back is in the shape of a crook. Her legs are large and bony, and they are huge. So this is almost like the most hag description I can find of a banshee. Yeah, the witch of the the witch of ribbon seems the most hag like of the banshees for sure. It's like they copy and pasted a hag description. I think. Yeah. So she appears either to your house or to wherever you are outside of your house. And it's sort of a different event. So when she comes to your home, she comes after dusk, flapping her wings against the window and warning of the death in like this broken howling tone by calling out the name in elongated sounds, which they have like described. So it's like, and sort of for Ani, if the name's that. And she'll, like, be screaming that and, like, batting her wings against the window, which is kind of terrifying. That is very terrifying. This is the most horror-ask banshee. Yeah. That's a lot. And this is the only one that has wings, mind you, as well. Elsewhere, she will follow you while being invisible until you come to either a crossroad or a stream, and then she'll burst out into a ghastly shriek and either beat the ground or the water and cry out, depending on who's dying, my husband, my husband, my wife, my wife, or my little child, oh, my little child. Or if you can't tell what she's screaming, she's impending your own doom, which is also kind of terrifying, to be honest. That's all That's all terrifying, <laughs> yeah. Uh, it just gets worse. Thank you. You know how we both said we weren't horror people? This is, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is almost crossing a line. <laughs> <laughs> She's generally regarded as an ancestral figure as well, which is the interesting thing. Even though she's this horror figure, she's supposedly like trying to save you. And it's possible that she may be one of the mother goddesses as well. According to Welsh mythology, they thought that she might be like a goddess. And she might literally be like a winter hag goddess called Kaliak Boer. Bear? I still can't say the word bear. Which is, yeah, that's a winter hag goddess in the Welsh mythology. Or the goddess Anu, other name Danu, who is the earth mother goddess who suckled the gods. I want to ask suckled how, but honestly, I don't want the answer. Don't answer me. Don't. Don't answer that question. <laughs> Mm-mm. She's also the kind of hag that will go after you if she gets mistaken as a lovely lady and or gets hit on or gets, you know, a man seeing a woman, saying something to her, doing a gesture, coming over, insinuating something. She will come after you and uh, is known to scare men. If they mistake her for a beautiful woman. Oh, good. Okay, good. Good for her. I like her now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Go after men who catcall you. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Throw it right back at. Yeah. Love that. Love that for her. So, yeah. That's what we have for <laughs> the history of hags is these different kinds of spirits, feminine. Banshees are like messengers of death. Mostly heard, sometimes seen, 
specifically known for their wailing, moaning, sometimes screaming. But what I didn't know and what came as a surprise to me was that they can either be friendly or hateful. And I think that the Banshees, according to a paper I read on them, they sort of are said to reflect the position of women in these cultures Mm -hmm. and how the role of women is placed onto them and sort of goes along with what you were saying and how the Banshee sort of, in its own way, fights against the limitations and repressions that are placed upon them by being non-womanly, by being these shaggy, loud, scary. But in their own way, they are they may be upkeeping or kind of contributing to the safety of their family, but not in the way that, you know, you would want, which is like a mother being like, oh, there's somebody's going to die within our family, you know, like you, we must protect our own. But it's more like, ah, death! <laughs> death! Stop! Warning! <laughs> Sort of like an error error message coming into your window, being like, guys, somebody's gonna die. <laughs> Except more terrifying. It's so interesting, too, because when I think of omens of death, I think of the Grim Reaper, right? And that's a more masculine figure as well. So I really like how in Banshee mythology, omens of death for specific families are these female figures but like the other you know female ghosts that does come with a lot of like burden Mm -hmm. and some of the parts of the mythology as well some I really like too I really like how they can be friendlier and how they can be tied to families and stuff Mm -hmm. but even like all of the good stuff um there's still weird shit in there about like commentary (laughs) on when you have a, a woman as a as a symbol, you can't not talk about her boobs for some reason. Um, I don't know. know why. Scotland, explain, <laughs> explain. <laughs> or how in Ireland, if you chase her down and like force her to tell you who's gonna die, like she has to tell you. Yeah, that has a weird connotation to it. Very, I do not. Very. I weird. do not like that. And I don't. I don't know if that's something that was normal, you know, back in before the 1800s, because I can only assume that these were stories from before the 1800s because books were written in the 1800s. So, like, was that normal? And and was that meant to be funny? Was that meant to teach women something? Women, don't put your boobs over your shoulder. You might be mistaken for a banshee. And and you and you might get them suckled on, but if you want that, uh, <laughs> but if you want it, but like, if you want no that, tea, no shade. please, yeah, 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 go ahead. But apparently, if you if you like that, then you're also being likened to a banshee. So really, banshees are also king shaming, and we're not okay with that either. <laughs> but also, you become their foster mother, whoever suckles on your tits. So be prepared for that, I guess. <laughs> be prepared for that <laughs> if you want to embrace the ways of the banshee. But it's, oh, it's so interesting because they have 
So the one through line is that they're these harbingers of death. Mm-hmm. But that means some – and they, they have connections to families. Mm-hmm. But their appearance is, like, one of the things that changes the most. And, like, the specific – like, the very, like, small intricacies. But those two through lines yeah. kind of stay true. And I think those are also still seen in the D&D Banshees because it's just about time that we actually get to talk about D&D because this is a D&D podcast. We are a D&D podcast. I don't know – if we remind ourselves enough of this because we go on tangents and then we end up in weird places and then we realize, Mm. oh yeah, we have to tie this back to D&D. Which I think it's about time that we do that. So let's let's think about those two through lines of death, harbingers of doom, and families and see if they carry through into D&D. Let's see what they did with it in part three. Hello Harlots, Charday here with an exciting announcement. We have partnered with Game Tea to give you, our amazing listeners, exclusive savings when shopping for your next piece of gaming gear. Game Tea is an artist-owned business specializing in homemade gaming accessories, including clothes, dice, and more. Seriously, their stuff is so freaking cool. I have a flask from them, and it was my go-to DMing prop when we played in person. It says Dungeon Master's Homebrew on it. Iconic. If you want to expand your treasure trove of TT RPG goodies and support the podcast by helping us get a little commission, head on over to gametee.co.uk. That's G-A-M-E-T-E-E.co.uk. Use code SLOVENLYTROLLS, all one word, at checkout to receive 5% off your purchase and knock off a chunk of that pesky sales tax. Now let's get back to the show. Part 3. Banshees in D&D, a.k.a. Analysis, a.k.a. We finally get to the juice meat. (laughs) The meat juice. The meat juice, juice meat. The uh, the good shit lollipop. What else have we called this section? Part three. We've called it many things. The juicy bit. Meet the juice. The juices. The juice. The juices. <laughs> Which juices? You might ask. All of them. Um. This is where we talk about banshee lore written throughout D and D history, and we're also going to be talking a bit about the art as well, because like the lore of D and D, the art of banshees has also changed a lot. And we're going to be taking what we've learned in the past hour or so about female ghosts and what they represent, as well as banshee lore throughout Welsh and Irish and Scottish mythology, and just kind of talking about banshees, what we like about them, what they don't like, what D&D took from that mythology, what they didn't, what's problematic, what's not. It's it's the juicy, juicy bit bits. <laughs> juicy bits bits. I feel like the names keep getting worse. <laughs> I don't know what you mean. I think they keep getting better. We just keep think. I mean, I just keep saying things that are just different iterations of juicy bits and juicy meat and meat juice. <laughs> Analysis. Anyway, here we go. <laughs> so, <laughs> D&D Banshee lore. So before we get into it, I would like to start with a super fun question game. Where Lissa is the only contestant. And you all who are listening uh, in your cars, at home, on your exercise bikes or whatevs, you can also play along. This is a new game that I like to call, 
what edition is this bullshit from? <laughs> Ding! And I'm going to read out a quote, and you all, listeners, as well as Lissa, can guess which edition that this quote about Banshee is from in the D&D history lore. What do we call it? The, the fake lore? D&D fake lore? <laughs> That's what it's called <laughs> D&D <now>. fake lore. <laughs> Ahem. Banshees are the undead remnants of elves who, blessed with great beauty, failed to use their gift to bring joy to the world. Instead, they used their beauty to corrupt and control others. Buzzer, buzzer, buzzer. Name that edition. Name <laughs> I have it. Buzzer, buzzer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yes, you in the back. Yes, you I, pushing I'm going to say, I'm going to say 2E. That is incorrect. What? I know. Is it is it ADD? No. Is it 4E? No. 3.5? No. You're fucking with me. I'm not fucking with you. I swear to God. It is. Is it, is it really? Is it 5th edition? Yes, it is. It is 5th edition. What? <laughs> I would like everybody to take a moment of silence <laughs> this time. But, like, what? <laughs> what? I know. I know. So those who have listened to our podcast before know that we are big fans of 5th edition and the uh, steps that they have been taking. They've been embroiled in some controversies lately, unfortunately, at the time of recording this episode. Uh, we were reco- recording this past Hadizy incident, Hadozi incident. So they, they're not perfect, but usually you're pretty big fans of what they do with the lore. But in for some reason with Banshees, 5th edition regressed a lot and I am upset about it. And I'm going to be talking about it, but I wanted to start out with that shocker to get you all invested because, oh man, oh man, do we have a roller coaster of lore for you. We are going to start this emotional roller coaster of a journey starting with early aid with early Dungeons and Dragons Banshee and I kind of grouped this together in with AD&D and second edition because they have a lot of similarities and to start us off with the earliest iteration of Banshees in Dungeons and Dragons Lissa would you like to describe the very first image of a Banshee in the monster manual or the first two images I should say because we're kind of grouping a, D, and D, and 2E together. What what are we looking at here? What are the images that go along with these banshees? Okay, well, the first image is of a banshee who is coming at you, and the image looks like an image if you were facing a banshee, they were coming at you, raising their arms, groaning, moaning, maybe? Maybe screaming, shouting. Mm -hmm. Their mouth is open. They're looking at you. They're going, rah. And then you took a scanner, put it in their face, (laughs) and scanned their face. That's what it looks like. It is very stylized, yeah. It's it's got, like, those scan lines. So it kind of looks like pixel art. I mean, it probably is pixel art, but it just kind of looks like it's been scanned in to the computer. (laughs) And now we have a digital footprint of the Banshee (laughs) on our computer. Except it's not because it's in the book. So, yeah. Kind of uh, hag vibes, long, thin hair, wearing a sort of, I don't know what that would be, like a cloak, maybe? Cloak with that's attached using a 
something circular at the front. A buckle? Oh, buckle? No. It's, the, 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 the stylization of this image, you're so right. It makes it a little bit difficult to kind of ascertain what she's wearing. But like very angular features, very mean looking, black eyes, big nostrils, gaping mouth, kind of jaw that's unhinged a little bit mm-hmm. coming at you. Kind of very horror-esque. And older. So very like haggish. Like you would see this. Wrinkled and yeah, wrinkled and thin. What about second edition? In stark contrast, I would say this is what I would imagine. So you know the stories about like how the trolls that live under bridges? <laughs> Yeah. If you dressed a troll, gave it a wig, <laughs> like a wig that's like ruffled and it's uh, messy and kind of like a bird's uh-huh. nest, and then dressed it up in a robe slash dress with long sleeves, but it has no legs, mm-hmm. and then it runs around opening its mouth and kind of looks like a gremlin maybe or a, <laughs> yeah, or a troll or something. Small nose. Very close to the eyes, big chin. I think those are elf ears. They look a little pointed, but they're kind of half hidden in the hair, yeah. Yeah, crow's nest hair, talons or like long nails, no legs, wearing this weird flowy dress thing, but has breasts. Very pointy boobs. Yeah, very, very, very like young woman pointy boobs, weirdly enough. I don't know why I said that, but yeah. I mean, you're. I mean, you're not wrong, and also looks older as well. Yeah, except for the boobs. Except for, <laughs> except for the boobs, because even though descriptions sometimes call boobs long enough to be thrown over the shoulder, Scotland <laughs> people apparently don't like drawing that. I can't really blame them because my back still hurts thinking about that. <laughs> so, two images: older, almost hag-like. Like large mouths, wrinkled features, wearing either robes or a dress, looking like screaming, usually like mouths open. Yeah. One is full bodied, one is more distorted and stylized. So I think those kind of go along with the descriptions too, because I'm the one, obviously, who looked at the lore as per usual, because it is, I'm a whore for lore, bread and butter. Mm-hmm. And These creatures were originally called groaning spirits before they were called banshees. So in Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, banshees weren't even banshees yet. I think banshees is in parentheses, but they are called groaning spirits. So, I mean, these both definitely look like groaning spirits. Yeah. And in early editions, they are chaotic evil and they are described as the spirit of an evil female elf, which... I suppose goes along with the Banshee lore that you were talking about because they have some connection to fairies and elves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you, you could see those through lines. According to both AD&D and 2E, though, the spirit of an, an evil female elf is a, quote, very rare thing indeed. So allegedly, according to D&D lore, apparently you can't have a lot of evil female elves question mark it was just such a weird aside that i wanted to mention it what does that mean it means that female elves can be evil (laughs) but like but like drow but drow or not drow came around like after about around ad and d and right after ad and d but drow were around by 2e so yeah i have no idea maybe they also didn't equate drow to elves 
which is incorrect because drow are elves. Yeah, I'm not discussing that on this podcast. (laughs) God damn it, I almost got it. Uh, Moving on. So the description, very similar to Lissa's description of the images. So they're described mostly, these these descriptions are mostly from 2E because as per usual, AD&D gives very short descriptions of things. And then by second edition, they really flesh out the description. They are described as floating, luminous phantasms of their former selves. Their hair is wild and unkempt. Their dress is usually in tattered rags, and they're obviously always wearing a dress because why wouldn't they be? They're women. Women can't wear pants. Face is a mask of pain and anguish, but hatred and ire burns brightly in her eyes. And most banshees are old and withered, but a few... And they specify a few as being 10% who died young retain their former beauty. The art obviously doesn't reflect younger banshees. It goes with the majority, but yeah. it's such an odd detail to keep in. Like, oh, yeah, banshee are mostly old and withered. But don't worry, 10% of them are youthful and beautiful. It's very, again, like a weird aside comment. I don't know. What do you think? I mean, I don't know. I think it, based on what the research I did, like, there were young versions for some of them, but then there were a whole lot of old hag-esque type mm-hmm. banshees. So I don't think that's that weird. I don't know about the percentage. Maybe there's a, there was some math involved or they looked at how many different kinds there were, but... Maybe. I Early Dungeons & Dragons loves percentages just in general. Yeah. So I think they just really like ascribing a number to whenever they say a few. They want to be very specific on what they mean by a few. Like you can roll a dice and like if you want to roll to see if the banshee that your characters run into or your players run into is one appearance or the other. I'm guessing that's what the intention was. Mm-hmm. But they don't really give any lore or anything to back up why 10% are dying young and retaining their former beauty it's just a detail that they kind of throw in yeah and they don't they also don't describe what young and beautiful looks like yeah it's just kind of an aside also in early D, it is stated that banshees have an effect on their surrounding environment so their presence kills flowers and vegetation but keeps alive thistles and other harsher plants. And I kind of equated this to the kind the similar symbolism we saw with Oral when we did our episode on Oral the Frost Maiden, mm, mm-hmm, where mm-hmm. her presence also kills all vegetation because she is a goddess of winter. And I kind of equated that to women and their maidenhood and women and their ties to nature, specifically flowers and blooming flowers. Mm -hmm. And when you have a female quote unquote monster or quote unquote evil deity, when you have them have an ability that kills vegetation and kills those flowers that are usually equated to women – it automatically just, I think, instinctually makes them more evil because you're killing that womanly innocence. Like, these aren't innocent women. These are bad women. I just thought it was interesting because I hadn't seen any other monsters that kill vegetation since we did oral. So I felt it was worth pointing out. I also think it, I don't think it's necessarily just about innocence. I think 
flowers represent beauty. They represent life. And in some cases, happiness and goodness. So I feel like, depending on a flower, of course, but it's bringing in death, destruction, decay, mm-hmm. and this sinister thing that sucks the life out of you. Yeah. There are many layers. There are many layers. Like an onion. <laughs> the last thing, well, second to last, but last thing. They, banshees are super fucking deadly in terms of any creature you can run into within the game of D&D. They have an ability, their whale, which is, you know, tied to them being banshee. You think banshee, you think whale. Their whales are signifiers of death. That is literal in D&D. Their whale has the capability to kill anyone. And if you don't save, if you don't make a saving throw against it, you just die. No death saving throws, no nothing. You just die. (laughs) And on top of that, you know how in 5th edition, how if you don't have an enchanted weapon, your weapon sometimes isn't as effective against certain creatures. They have resistances, so you do like half damage. In terms of banshees, if you don't have a weapon that is enchanted with at least a plus one enchantment, so plus one, two damages and attacks, your weapon does no damage. Nothing. Absolutely nada. And the one caveat that you might save you and your party if you come up against a banshee is the banshee will flee if she is outnumbered or if um, the battle turns against her. You know, so after she kills most of your party, she will leave <laughs> if you outnumber her or get a couple hits on her. I think they they took the symbolism or not even symbolism. They took the the death of the banshee of you know all that celtic lore and they they put it into them instead of putting it into the description they put it into the mechanics of banshee mm. there, mm-hmm. there's no mistaking i every version of the banshee is super deadly they did the i think D equivalent of show don't tell i think that's the first time i've seen that wow they showed that the banshee was deadly and did not tell us <laughs> love to see it before I move on to later editions of D&D, because we're just about out of time for early editions, I just have a small caveat. <laughs> I have a small bone to pick because while most of my grievances are against 5th edition, I also have a bone to pick with 2nd edition. Shocking. I'm shocked. Shocking. Everybody, sh- everybody should be shocked. This is the same edition reminder for our listeners who maybe haven't listened to our earlier episodes. Second edition is the edition where they specifically use he, him pronouns for players because they think he and him is gender neutral. So I have a very keen awareness Mm -hmm. for when they are using specific words in their rhetoric because I know that they know what they're doing. (laughs) So I am keenly aware. And why do I keep saying keenly? Because they keep using the word keen and it bothers me (laughs) in second edition. But I don't think, maybe not for the reasons you think, because I, when I was reading second edition lore for Banshees, and I'll try to keep this short, I promise, but I just felt it was worth pointing out because rhetoric is my thing and Lissa says whatever you can go off about rhetoric, do it, so I'm doing it. In second edition, they use the word keen eight times, (laughs) which is a lot for a couple of paragraphs, 
and they use it as a synonym for whale, W-A-I-L, like the screech of a banshee. There are so many other ways to say screech, but they use keen so many times. And they use it for other creatures too. I did double check, but they use it for banshees the most often. And we're going back to our fave Merriam-Webster. So they're using keen as a verb. So to make a loud and long cry of sorrow is what it means. However, you can also use keen as an adjective, which I kind of did when I was hinting at it. So you can be like keenly aware of something, right? You can have a perception towards it. You can be very hyper-focused on it. But also as an adjective, it means showing a quick and ardent responsiveness or eager. I don't know if you know you know where I'm going with this, but I don't know the impression I've given on this podcast, but I've read a lot of smut in my life. <laughs> the tea. <laughs> the tea. The confessional. I've read a lot of smut. Fan fiction, traditionally published, self-published smut. I've read a lot of it. Keening is a term that is used a lot in that type of fiction. No tea, no shade. It's just used a lot. It's It, it brings up a certain image, <laughs> we'll say. It brings up a certain image. It could be a coincidence. It could just because, in my context, I'm just keenly aware <laughs> of how certain authors use the word keen, but... I just thought it was interesting that they use the word keening so much with a female ghost. And I, as a woman who's read some smut in my life, know that it's also used quite often as a term for like a woman being eager in the bedroom. I just wanted to point it out as a conspiracy theory that maybe that might partially be part of the reason they used it so much with banshees. And I have two instances of this, and I'll shut up, and I will leave it to the gods <laughs> to, to judge me. So two sentences. The first sentence is, any creature within 30 feet of a groaning spirit, when she keens, must roll a saving throw versus death magic. Look at me in my face. Look at me in my face and say that that does not sound dirty. I'll wait. Second one. Creatures powerful enough to withstand the groaning spirit's keen are left alone. <laughs> I'm fully aware this could just be me. I just wanted to put it out there. Rant done. Lissa, do you have thoughts? <laughs> okay, so keening. I do know what keening is. Uh-huh. The actual meaning that they probably meant. So as I was looking into my research and this sort of relates to the origin story of how banshees came to be. So keening is an Irish term for a wild song of lamentation, which is, they, this is a definition that I took from one of the old books, which is poured forth over a dead body by certain mourners employed for the purpose. So essentially, you employ a woman who, or a group of people, who will come and cry for you in the form of singing. Sort of, they will mourn for the death of somebody in the form of singing. And this is like a traditional Irish, traditional Irish tradition. It traditionally happens when 
there is a death of a member of a village, a townland, or one of a prestigious clan dies. And so they would bring in usually a woman to sing in, sing a lament in Irish to the individuals at the funeral. And it it's interesting because in the old Gaelic legends, music and poetry were said to be gifts of a fairy or from a fairy. So fairies would give gifts of music and poetry, which therefore sort of makes the banshees singing. Because you, you could sort of see it that the banshee is singing, I don't know, wa- groaning, singing. There's this weird, weird, like, subtle difference between groaning and is she singing? Because some of it is, like, very musical. There were mentions of you might be hearing, like, uh, harps being played when a banshee is making herself known. So... Am I saying that banshees are bards? Maybe. <gasps> I love that. And there's there's like this inherent link, first of all, between harps and banshees because there were multiple stories that had harps in them. Not only harp mm. sounds being played, but also a banshee who warned this, I, I think his name was Bunsworth, this man who was going to die. He warned the, the missus of, or the daughter of the man and the man was this sort of well-known musician and harpist. And how when he died, like the the townspeople who were part of the orchestra of, of playing like harps, how they all left their harps on his deathbed or his sort of his grave. Well, in, in Ireland, I can maybe kind of give some context. In Ireland, like the Irish harp is just a big symbol, full stop. Like yeah. if you if you guys know of Guinness beer, like their entire like their symbol is like a giant ass harp. Yeah. <laughs> so that that's super not surprising that a a banshee would be a likened to harp music or harp symbols. But in in that way, like the banshee might be coming from this tradition of having women come and mourn for the the death of somebody by singing Mm -hmm. but instead of singing it becomes this because this is like from this is a messenger from death so instead of being the live mourners that who are keening it's this varied version who comes and warns you and maybe maybe the link between death and reality is and she can't sing or maybe there's just but it, it it's this groaning noise or it's the screaming so yeah that it's there's just this very interesting link between keening and banshees that i thought i had to say no yeah no that gives a lot more context and maybe that's that might just be what they meant is that they they wanted to pay homage to the keening of banshees from traditional Irish and Celtic mythology. Yeah. And if they did want to do that, they did not do it very well. (laughs) And I don't say, well, no, no, I do say that with malice because I have a personal vendetta against second edition. They just basically, they took the word and they turned it into a, a synonym for wailing if they would have leaned into the musicality of it 
yeah. or leaned into that like beautiful poetic mourning version of it, it would have come off so much better and most likely would not have made me into a raving pervert. <laughs> When when I read eight times in a sentence, she keens. You have to say it against her keening. And I'm like, keening into what? (laughs) I think your explanation explains the context of what they were trying to do. Mm -hmm. And my misinterpretation explains that they just did not do it very well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They should have totally leaned into the singing and almost bardic version of it. Okay, well, on that somewhat positive note, let's go into later Banshee. So we're going to move now into 3.5 and 5th edition. (laughs) Can you tell I'm uncomfortable to like yell at 5th edition? (laughs) (laughs) I'm not looking forward to it, but also we need to hold them accountable just like we do every other edition that fucks up. So we are not covering 4th edition only because... Fourth edition, I couldn't find any banshees when I was looking through the lore throughout D&D history. So if I missed it, if I, it just wasn't in the books that I was looking at, hit us up. I'd love to take a look at what fourth, what fourth edition banshees look like. But from the editions that we have access to, I couldn't find them anywhere. I couldn't even find reference to them on the Forgotten Realms wiki, which is usually my jumping off point for research. So we're going to be sticking to 3.5 and fifth edition. And we are going to be starting with 3.5 because, in my opinion, I think 3.5 did Banshee lore the best. It actually became super inclusive in terms of rhetoric and how their abilities are worded. And then um, in 5th edition, they kind of uh, got rid of all of that (laughs) for some fucking reason that I don't know. So let's start with 3.5. So 3.5, this is from Monster Manual number two. What does the Banshee look like, Lissa? Because it also seems like the Banshee in 3.5 looks a heck of a lot different than the ones that we've seen in AD&D and 2E. Yeah, the Banshee in 3.5 looks very much like a very malnourished elf. She might be sitting on the edge of a water or bending down she looks to be i would say that's a look of pain i'm sure it's not meant to be she's in pain but it looks to me like she's in pain and she's very deathly pale she's very malnourished very skinny she's wearing like some sort of a i want to say that's a tank top very very fashionable for a banshee i have to say and a very flowing skirt. Maybe it's a dress. I can't really tell. Looks to be like a tank top and a and a skirt, like a red skirt underneath. This is the first colored photo we have, by the way. And she has sort of very disheveled hair, which is red, and big sort of lion's mane looking hair. She's grasping onto nothing really, but also something because she's holding her hands and fists. And standing in water. She has very, like, sunken skin. Very looks on the verge of death. Mouth open also. She's also very, a lot more youthful, I would say, than the other ones. Yeah, she is, yeah. She is very much a younger version of a banshee. There are no wrinkles on her face. Just gauntness. She's just very malnourished and hungry, I would say. (laughs) 
So I also noticed this when I was looking through 3.5. This is the first time the Banshee appears younger, and it's not the only thing that's changed. They changed a lot with 3.5 Banshees. So in earlier editions, she was chaotic evil, and now she is neutral evil. So they changed yeah. her alignment. Okay. And her description is also interesting. So the spirit of a strong-willed, selfish individual of a humanoid race. So they Ew. actually got rid of its ties to elves. But the image is still of an elf. The image is still of an elf, yes. Yeah. So I think they were sticking with the theme of like, oh, there are other iterations. Like maybe paying homage to like the older editions through the artwork and not necessarily through the prose. Mm -hmm. This is also, I think, the only edition where they exclusively refer to the Banshee as it by it pronouns. So you could really ascribe any gender to a Banshee if you really wanted to. Mm -hmm. And I really liked that. Well, I, I really liked it and I also was iffy about it because the intentional separating of the gender from the monster kind of can go both ways. It's good because it removes any implication of women in some pretty damning sentences when you uh, ascribe a banshee doing something and because it's exclusively a female it kind of when you take the gender out of it you're not just giving that heavy burden to that gender but I'm also kind of iffy about it just a little bit and I but I'm mostly for it but I also want to acknowledge that banshees are canonically women so I don't know why they made this change but I'm not necessarily upset about it you know yeah because inclusion is always good i think and new interpretations and new readings of things are always good so i thought it was different and good yay 3.5 i like that a lot (laughs) um giving it a pronoun of it almost makes it it makes it the other it makes it mm -hmm. more of a monster because it's not because it's not part of a he she spectrum even though the spectrum is much larger than he she but the it makes it um, a monster. Yeah, a monster because it has no, it is beyond gender. It is be- beyond being mm-hmm. a humanoid. So you could treat it just specifically as a monster or you could ascribe it any pronoun. Yeah. 100%. The description further goes on to say that the banshees appear now more translucent. So they appear as a translucent image of the form it held in life. And then with time, the Banshee's images t- image tends to become blurred and indistinct, though the creature remains recognizable as a humanoid. So a little bit of lore with that, too. I like that. Yeah. The further it sticks around, the further it doesn't finish its unfinished business or what have you, it fades away. And there, it's almost like a hint that maybe some Banshees move on. I like that. <laughs> like 3.5. Hell yeah. Again banshee not all banshees have like a visual description and an like a visual aspect to them sometimes they are just voices and noises mm-hmm. so i do like that that's Ooh. sticking more to the lore that's so right i didn't think about that yeah the battle tactics and all the stuff that that basically stays the same it's just really the descriptions that have changed with 3.5 and they are still just as deadly but in 3.5 in 3.5 they put it in terms that me as a 5th edition player and somebody who used to play 3.5 can understand so for those of you who are just playing later editions of D&D to really emphasize how far they went with showing not telling that the banshee is deadly you have to make a DC 
26 fortitude roll, which is the equivalent of constitution in 5th edition. 26. If you do not meet that, you're dead. (laughs) And that blew my mind. (laughs) That's a big number. Blew my mind. It's a big number. All right, y'all. This is the moment. It's 5th edition time. Prepare yourselves. I would like to formally shout out friend of the podcast, Navar, host of Secret Nerd Podcast. He asked us on our live stream and then also when I guested on Secret Nerd Podcast, when are we going to pick on 5th edition? Today is that day, Navar, and I hope that you're happy. And if you're listening to this, this one is specifically for you because, oh my God, am I so fucking mad. (laughs) Like, I was mad with the Hadoozie that we talked about on Cave Trolls. If you haven't listened to Cave Trolls, listen to Cave Trolls, which is a more recent event that 5th edition did with Spelljammer. Like, that was already infuriating. But seeing this and not knowing that it existed until now makes me so mad. Take us away with describing 5th edition, what does a Banshee look like in terms of the art style? I have one one word for you. Ghost. <laughs> yeah, it's all white, all white everything except for the contrast color, which is I guess shadow. It's sort of this this combination of evil or darkness, which is the shadow, and the ghost part. So it has white hair flowing in the wind, very beautiful hair I would say face very sinister there's one eye that sort of looks like it's coming out of the face the face also kind of looks like it's removed or you know when you like remove skin and you can see the muscle underneath Mm -hmm. that's sort of what the face looks like with the resemblance so like the eye looks not attached to the face You can't even see the other half of the face. It has its mouth open. It's looking directly at the viewer, making eye contact, which is very powerful, very scary. It has this tattered... It has this tattered dress that's ripped and torn to shreds. And the being itself is sort of there, but not there because of the, like, dark color and the light color. It's sort of veiny. It has veins on its arms. Very big claws. Looks very looks kind of thin but you can see that the claws are very powerful mm-hmm. and floating floating there there's some sort of a, a tree behind it very striking image like this is a very scary image if you haven't seen it i really like it i do like it it is very good it's very good also again with going off at 3.5 it is also a quote unquote i think i can see more youthful features on this banshee so again moving away from the old hag like images and yeah going for a more youthful banshee appearance yeah but this has more of a horror quality i would say than compared to 3.5 so it's going back towards the sort of horror that they were trying to i guess do in ad and d yeah oh sure with the distortion and stuff yeah yeah so beautiful artwork very spooky and now you get to be even more terrified hearing what I have to say and what 5th edition did to our girl. <laughs> okay, so I'm a huge fan of 3.5 and 5th edition basically scrapped most of what 3.5 did and rewrote a bunch of stuff, which usually I'm a big fan of, but in this case I am not. So neutral evil? Nope, she is not neutral evil anymore. She is back to chaotic evil. 
don't really know why. I don't know if that necessarily matches up with her description either, but I digress. She is also back to a specifically female elf spirit, so they took away the it pronoun, and they took away the, well, I mean, you're the DM. You can do whatever you want. <laughs> you can inter- you can make a male banshee, gender nonconforming banshee, just an energy banshee, whatever you want to do. But for their specific one, this is in the monster manual, she is now a f- back to a female elf. And in the description, it's pretty similar to how they describe banshee in 3.5, except they specifically call her a spiteful creature spiteful interesting which is odd because they'd never really done that before and this is where the quote from before when we opened up the section comes into play so as a reminder banshees are the undead remnants of elves who blessed with great beauty failed to use their gift to bring joy to the world instead they use their beauty to corrupt and control others Because obviously, if you're beautiful, you have to bring joy to the world. And if you are ugly, fuck you, I guess. (laughs) I don't don't know how else to interpret that. I don't like how that's worded. I don't really know what else to say other than that's kind of gross and really... I mean, it's also making... It's not even just about the the gender. That's, That's also just making a statement about elves themselves. Of how elves are supposed to be blessed, bring great beauty, bring joy to the world, and mm. bring goodness. I don't even know if it's just about... Women. Yeah. Is this you being sympathetic for elf lore right now? Is that what's happening? Mm, no. This is me reading <gasps> reading behind the lines, between the lines, mm-hmm. behind behind enemy lines. I'm, I'm, I'm sensing some sympathy from you right now and it's delicious (laughs) i don't know what you're talking about delicious thank you for your sympathetic reading of this because i didn't even i'm an elf lover and i didn't even catch on to that so fuck elves fuck elves man (laughs) yes yeah fuck elves yeah absolutely no no not that not in that way in the fuck elves show them the middle finger yeah you will (laughs) You know right where to put it, baby. Sigh. Love, sigh. <laughs> you can't win against my love of elves. I'm sorry about it. I can certainly try. You can try. You will fail, but you can try. Anyway, back to <laughs> back to the point. So yeah, overall big ick from that description, equating beauty and elven beauty specifically with you can only do good from it. It's really it ignores gray morality. There, it goes into gender stereotypes of women, women and elves as well, because they hearken back to elves. And they go on to say in the description of Banshee in 5th edition, the Banshee experience no happiness and they only distress at the living because they're just jealous, I guess. And on top of all of this very weird direction that they're taking Banshee, because again, also, on top of this, now that we've learned about all the Banshee lore, this doesn't really have any connection to, like, old Celtic Banshees either, which is, I want to root for it because I want them to do something original, but not like this. <laughs> not like this. And they also do something weird where 
they have this, they allude to something called the Banshee's Curse. And this is very vague on how this is worded. It's apparently a curse that is bestowed presumably on female elves. And it's described as the curse takes its, as the curse takes its toll, their minds and bodies decay until death completes their transformation into undead monsters. So it alludes to the fact that maybe female elves are cursed to be banshees by who or what it's not stated but it it takes away almost like the i don't know it's it's very it's an interesting concept but it's so vaguely executed that i don't quite know how to feel about it because at first i thought it was just like a like i a punishment from the gods but now it's a curse it's very it's all very confusing i guess is what i'm trying to say Anyway, I we're running out of time. So before I get too carried away, last couple of things that are super fucking weird that I picked out. So one thing is banshees are forced to relive every moment of their life with perfect recall, yet always refuse to accept responsibility for their doom, which I think is a detail they put in there to make them more monster-like. Kind of like how you were saying with 3.5 and removing like pronouns and making it tied to monsters. Mm-hmm. I think they were using this, you know, they refuse to take accountability for their actions as like, oh, this is a bad thing. This is D&D. You have every reason to kill this monster. Mm-hmm. But as a fan of gray morality, I don't like that. <laughs> and I put in my notes, hashtag not all banshees. What if some banshees do want to accept responsibility? And especially now after learning about Banshee lore and like Celtic mythology, seems like Banshees really aren't that bad and they're tied to families and they have like good motives for doing what they're doing, even though their methodology is a bit iffy. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. And the, um, the last thing before we close out is there is an entire subheader called Beauty Hoarders under banshees nope don't like that (laughs) i did note that it's kind of soon vibes so soon a vibes but not like the nice rewritten version i did more like the super stereotyped vain (laughs) bullcrap dnd usually has for soon a so they say that the vanity that inspired the banshees cursed creation persists in undeath they didn't really say that they were vain before they just said they used their beauty for bad purposes but now they're adding vanity into it (laughs) and they also say that banshees covet beautiful objects such as fine jewelry paintings statues and other objects of art and they abhor any mirrored surfaces because they cannot bear to see the horror of its own existence and a single glimpse of itself is enough to send a banshee into a rage. No. 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 Like, where in no. banshee mythology is that? Nowhere. Nowhere. And, again, I'm not, like, super opposed of them doing original lore for banshee and putting their own stamp on it, but why did they resort to stereotypes to do it? I- we already have Soons, Sune. Why? And she's good. She's seen as a good deity. And now you're equating it to 
to banshees who are a monster you're supposed to kill. D&D, make it make sense. Pick a lane. Do you like vanity or do you hate it? Like, what is happening here? I just, I'm so confused, I think is just the moral of this. I'm really confused. I want to know who signed off on this. Why they, when they wanted to go more original with Banshee lore, why they chose to lean into stereotypes. Yeah, the the mirror thing is just so done. Yeah. It's, it's every movie female ghost that... Yes. I feel like Bloody Mary probably would also be but it, it's sure it's so been done before and i'm so sick of it even i'm i, I know there are no such things as, as original ideas i know that it's yeah. very hard to come up with new lore i know this but mm. also i just want them to try something new instead of just putting the age-old stereotypes like you said because that's just Banshees aren't about vanity, according to your own book, until you get to this section where suddenly they are about vanity. And it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not consistent. And it's confusing. It's not consistent. It doesn't make sense. And I can commend them wanting to be more original and maybe go away from the Celtic mythology a bit and put their own stamp on it. But this is not the way to do it. And I am... I'm mad and I'm disappointed that 5th edition has the worst version of Banshees that are the most stereotyped. And not even stereotyped, like, they are stereotyping the old mythological Banshees or twisting them into... They're they're almost doing what they did with Loviatar in that they're taking a goddess when they took a goddess who stood for something in Finnish folklore and they turned her into a BDSM goddess, which is not who she was before. They're taking the word Banshee, which has all this Celtic mythology baggage, and then they're putting on vanity of maybe like American mythology onto it. Because I kind of mentioned that before when I was going over ghost stories. Like it, it almost has a tinge of the American mythology well, guess which country Wizards of the Coast is in? Japan. <laughs> you are incorrect. I am incorrect, but... Yeah, I don't... I don't know how to fix this, but... I would say pick one lane and stick to it. Because this feels like they went back to one of the older versions of the Banshee. And they said, well, this part's good. We'll put that in here. They rewrote it a little bit. And then they said, okay, we need something more. And then they saw a description of Bloody Mary. And they were like, ooh, this is cool. We'll put that in there. And then they it just they just copy and pasted things from different things and then put that in and then they saw Su Sune's description. They're like, ooh, that could fit in here. So they just copy and paste, put together, and they're like, done. That's how it feels to me. Yeah. Copy and pasted ideas with no real backbone behind it. The only original thing I saw in there is that a banshee, like the banshee's curse. But it was so out of place that it more confused me than intrigued me, I think. Yeah. God damn it, wizards. We were rooting for you. We were all rooting for you. How dare you? I hate to leave off on a somber note, but we're out of time. So we have to get to our concluding thoughts now. So 
We're going to take a hot second, gather ourselves, and we will see you in our conclusion where we will rant at you for a bit longer. See you there. So we've now come to our concluding thoughts and our outro. And Charday and I have taken some time to think real hard about what we want to say. <laughs> Prove that we are intellectuals. That was the whole thesis of this. <laughs> uh, for you, yeah. For me. I'm just smart to begin with. I don't need to prove anything. Crickets. <laughs> <laughs> to myself, anyway. <laughs> so, I will go first. <clears throat> so, banshees are Celtic mythology and folklore. And mythology and folklore are used specifically to reflect the possessions, well, in this case, of women and the place of women in that culture around the time. The place of banshees in that culture and the place of women in that culture at the time was being subservient to men, to, of doing chores, of raising children, of giving birth to children. And fucking surviving childbirth was a chore. And because if you failed surviving childbirth well you gotta do the laundry for the rest of your life until the time you actually were gonna die because that's how that works because you have overdue laundry for the rest of your life that you didn't do so get on it that doesn't make fucking sense to me they were also the butts of jokes with the banshees with their unnaturally long breasts that they just flop onto their backs that people take advantage of because mommy, sorry. Mommy, sorry. <laughs> mommy, mommy, sorry. sorry. I don't know, but I thank God times have changed because what the fuck? Have they changed? Well, I don't hear about long tits and people sucking on to them from behind anymore. So I would, <laughs> I want to say yes. I don't know. If you've heard some other things, then please do let me know if I am mistaken. But the good thing is banshees can be and become feminist icons if they are treated right and their lore is built to support it. Because banshees do not conform to stereotypes of what women are. They do not care about your societal, political, and cultural restri restrictions placed upon them. They do not let measly peasant men get away from catcalling them. Because they will come at you with a vengeance. So I think there is a possibility of fixing it as long as you do it right. There is also a distinct link between hags and banshees that I would like to see explored in D&D lore. I don't know how. I mean, hags have a sisterhood. They have family ties. And banshees specifically have very close family ties if you're looking at the bloodline link that they have and the mournful sorrow that they have towards losing somebody in that bloodline. And they are both attached to nature in various ways. And there's just this lack of beauty in the lore of banshees in D&D. And there's this lack of poetic beauty, which I want because it's you can sort of see it in the mythology 
when you read into it because you have friendly banshees. You have this mournful sorrow, this attachment to a bloodline, this wanting to warn your kin of something that's coming. Like, okay, yes, there's this horror uh, horror element to it, but we've already seen the horror element. I have not seen the mournful banshee who wants to save their kin. Where is that? Why did that not translate into culture, into D&D? And where is the origin of the keening practice and the emotional embodiment of sorrow and loss and the family ties? And I'm looking at 5e. Don't speak vanity to me. There is no vanity in the original myths. I don't know where you got that. Please explain. Because it doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't go according to what makes a banshee a banshee to me. Okay, yes, I'm coming from the background of, okay, I did all the context of the banshee based on myth. Maybe you're trying something new. But if you're trying something new, lean into it and make it make sense. Because as it is, it's just a jumble of things you picked and chose from stereotypes that don't sit together very well, and they don't make sense. What does make sense is maybe leaning into the curse. Because if we are to look at the Banshees as based on the myth of being stuck in this afterlife or this in-between place, between death and life, and being a messenger of the other world, of being a foreteller of death, then maybe lean into the curse. Maybe that's a curse. Maybe this is the curse that they're talking about in 5e. But because it's not explained, they don't go into it. They don't really know what they're doing, it sounds like to me. It doesn't work. Or you have to have the DM figure it out. Maybe it's left open-ended for the DM to figure out. Make it make sense. That's what I want. And also, banshees are definitely bards. Some of them play harps. Some of them sing slash keen. Some of them moan, groan. Some are friendly, some are not. But please diversify because hashtag not all banshees. Thank you. Beautiful. Thank you. How do I even follow that up? Um, (laughs) So my concluding thoughts, yes to all of that. And I'll start off by saying that just... The representations of female ghosts, especially wailing women, the wailing woman archetype, which I would argue banshees fall under, that archetype, female ghosts in general, that carries a lot of baggage. Female ghosts reflect the patriarchy, and depending on which way you read them, they can either serve as cautionary tales or empowering ones. And I would argue banshees just in the way that they are presented in mythology they are empowering more so than cautionary tales and i choose to think of all female ghosts now where i'm going to make a conscious effort to think of them as empowering but there is no mistaking that the stories of wailing women were created to control the narrative of rebellious women and warn women away from independence and straying from traditional gender roles. 
even though they're a little bit more liberated, they have more of a friendliness to them in Celtic mythology, the Banshees. You could still see the baggage in the mythology. You could say that the devil is in the small details. The, quote, matriarchal figure in Celtic Banshee lore, looking after her family in a, quote, motherly way and warning them of impending death. You see it in details of specifically Irish mythology of chasing after the woman, forcing her to give you the answers, even though she does not want to. You can see it in the caricature of titties <laughs> and making a conscious effort to draw attention to the breasts of this creature, really, and accenting them in a way that is not empowering or degrading. It's oh, I actually know it's 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 degrading and it's just gross. But overall, I would say that the Banshee is a powerful and almost respected figure in most of the legends where she originates from. In Dungeons and Dragons lore, I would say the devil is also in the details with passing on the Wailing Woman archetype of female ghosts, like with 2E trying to use Keening in a way that pays respect perhaps, to early keening in lore. I still hate saying it out loud because I carry my own rhetorical baggage with that word. <laughs> um, but they didn't do it properly. They also turned a, from my interpretation, respected matriarchal figure into a monster, which is a bit iffy to me. Because even when the Banshee is betrayed in very monstrous ways in the original mythology, she still, in my interpretation, has good intentions of warning people about death, not bringing it herself. But in D&D, &D, the Banshee is the one who brings death, and they turned the Banshee's warnings into a game mechanic, which is a very interesting use of show-don't-tell taking the Banshee's connection with death and turning it into a game mechanic. And I do appreciate it on that level. But I do have qualms a little bit with instead of her warning about death, she is the monster who kills. Not the entity who warns, she is the one who kills. Is this another layer of the patriarchy turning a ghostly figure into a monster? Probably. Because everything comes back to the patriarchy. <laughs> And it's also very Gygaxian, right? Turning something that is clearly not a game mechanic, like a warning of death, into a game mechanic, which is death. Kind of misinterpreting the meaning by mechanizing it. And I also notice a pattern in D&D &D where the Banshees start out as more hag-like and Celtic in origin throughout the years. But they became younger and less tied to their origins as time went on, resulting in fifth edition what the fuck what the fuck <laughs> why why is really why i respect the effort of trying to be original of trying to distance yourself from mythology but when you use a name like banshee just like when you use a name like loviatar when you use a name a word like hags when you use a word like succubi that word rhetorically comes with baggage it comes with lore already attached if you're going to come up with an original female ghost, call it something else. Attach vanity to something else. Do not attach it to a banshee. It doesn't make sense. 
to me personally. I respect you trying to be original, but just why don't, if you're going to use Banshee, just keep the original lore with it, make it an homage to Irish Celtic mythology, and just come up with another female ghost or come up with another ghost that's tied to vanity. That's okay. But when you do that, also stop using negative stereotypes of women to do that. Women in jewelry, women in vanity, women in reclaiming youth, equating beauty to goodness. Like, why? Why? I, it's just so inconsistent. It's so inconsistent with how D&D treats vanity as well because I also thought of this when I was typing up my thoughts that this is not the first time D&D can't make up its mind on whether or not it likes vanity. It attributes vanity to Sune, which is a good goddess, but then it makes it bad with the Banshee and also with Drow because I remembered when typing this up, Drow are also famously vain as a race and they are a quote evil race in canonical D&D and they take that to an extreme by killing ugly children quote unquote ugly they're also elves did you just say draw our elves no <gasps> oh my god i got it on tape oh my god this is the best day of my life <laughs> this is the best day of my life it's almost just saying that elves are vain that's that's the through line that's the through line here it is kind of saying that, and I don't know much about high elf uh, lore, so I don't know. So maybe that's something we can look into in the future. But also they attribute it to Sune, which they is a good goddess. So it's, it's just very inconsistent. And I guess that's life, but also when you're writing lore for a world's expansive and heavily used as the Forgotten Realms or D&D, it just, the inconsistencies can get kind of bothersome in instances like this. So my conclusion is I love the idea of banshees. I love the potential they have as female ghosts to be empowering figures with the capability of good, but also evil because human beings and I think monsters and anything in D&D, the gray area is just, in my opinion, the most fun to play with, the most fun to dive into. And I think D&D is such a cool place to explore that gray area of banshees, depending on what stories you'd like to tell at your table. I think that uh, 3.5 got the closest to this, and 5e dropped the ball, trying to be original and failing miserably. And a disclaimer, if you want to use Banshees raw as monsters for your players to fight and nothing more, if you run battle-based games, totally fine, totally cool. Our lore deep dives aren't probably for you, (laughs) but if you want to keep doing that, by all means, they are a great mechanical challenge and aesthetically dope as hell. So props to you if you want to keep using them and i'll end off with i think i found my next lore rewrite sorted because now i have a shit ton of ideas and i'm going to make them bardic i'm gonna make them bards and i also lissa you gave me an idea to just create an entire bard subclass based on banshees do i have anything to back that up no but it sounds like a freaking cool ass idea that i want to explore later But we are 100% out of time for the conclusion, as per usual. We want to thank you so much for listening. And thank you for being here for Lissa admitting that Drow are elves. Oh, my God. What a momentous occasion this was. I am literally bouncing up and down in my seat today. As always. Our sources are at campykilledcreations.com slash sources. We cite everything that we say. Fact check our asses. Follow us on social media. We are at Slovenly Trolls on Twitter and Instagram. 
if you are listening to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please leave us a review. It helps us a lot. It helps us grow our harem of harlots. If you have a couple bucks you want to throw our way, we have a Patreon. I've been working on lore rewrites for shit just like Banshee. I've been delving into D&D monsters recently, and it's been an experience and a lot of fun. But if you can't and you just are listening to us and enjoying our presence, that's also amazing. Thank you. We can't believe people are even still listening to us, honestly, to be honest. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, We've been the Slovenly Trolls. And don't forget the number one rule of D&D. Don't Don't be be a dick. The Slovenly Trolls podcast is part of the Can't Be Killed Creations podcast network. Make sure to check us out at campykilledcreations.com.